Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. And away we go. That's, a, that's right. a new thing I'm working on. <laughs> when you always love that, let's I just love love the questions. I don't want to into that. that. There are some, I'm not saying this is a good movie. Oh, what? I, that is Finnish Willem Dafoe. He, he looks, looks just like Willem Dafoe. He, I thought he looked very familiar. You're, don't throw out a fact. You are correct. You're Butler, correct. you should do some facts sometimes. Do some facts sometimes, Butler. Don't take my facts. <laughs> I'm pretty confident your brother doesn't listen to the Forgotten Cinema podcast, but if he does, boo. Hey, I'm Mike Field. And I'm Mike Butler. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that, for a variety of reasons, was forgotten by audiences. Whether it's because of a more popular movie was released at the same time, or the movie simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie or perhaps don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. If you enjoy our podcast, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. Hey, Mike. You did it. I'm proud of you. It only took you three times. Simply the best. Today we are doing Happy New Year, everybody. I should hey. say Happy New Year. Hopefully, is it New Year's Day that's coming out or New Year's Eve? Uh, New Year's Eve, I believe. Uh, hold on. I can check. No, New Year's Day because we did this. On, we did the last episode. You're right. Christmas. This is New Year's Day. We're in a new year. Welcome Hopefully, to 2020. Happy New Year. Hopefully you are not hungover. You had a responsible New Year's Eve. I probably worked. Me too. As uh, Because it's uh, double uh, double time. So right. uh, excellent. So in honor of New Year's Day, we are going to do a movie that takes place around a New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. That's right. And that is the movie Strange Days starring Ray Fiennes and Angela Bassett, directed by Catherine Bigelow, written by James Cameron. That's right. So let me go into that. Like I said, directed by Catherine Bigelow, this is the second Catherine Bigelow movie we are doing because the last one we did was what, Mike? Near Dark. There you go. She's also responsible for The Hurt Locker, K-19, The Widowmaker, a tons of other ones. She actually won the Academy Award for directing of Hurt Locker. I didn't know she did K-19. I believe she did K-19, The Widowmaker. That's cool. Am I wrong? Crap. Maybe. She did that. If I'm wrong, whatever. As I said, written by James Cameron, he actually came up with the story and the scriptment, as they call it, the script slash treatment he wrote. Um, but then Jay Cox came on and wrote uh, the rest of the movie. I think he did most of the dialogue. That, that's that's like my dream, just to do the treatment. I love writing treatments way more uh, than I writing can't. scripts. Uh, I, my dream would be to do uncredited rewrites and just get paid to not put my name on stuff. That's where the money is. Ooh. John Sales does that. And uh, I want that. You can also be the job. pitch man who just pitches story ideas. I can't pitch. I suck at pitching. I cannot pitch for the life of me. I hate it. I hate sitting there trying to tell people about my movie. I can't. I can't stand it. I know. You know what? That's not an unknown or unusual thing. Quality in a writer. They just some people can't do it because stories are really personal. And now you're Correct. trying to sell your story. Hope right. they like it. And it's really and and I I get like I know we're going off. <laughs> That's fine. But like I get. When people say like, well, you have to be able to pitch your stuff. And like in this day and age, like you do need to self promote yourself, but it still doesn't change the fact that human of human nature, like you say, personal stories. It's yeah, it's, it's tough. Correct. Yeah. Cause so. you're, it's something you're really passionate about and you're telling it passionately. Right. And hoping other people find it. So then I think maybe the goal is to have a posse. So I will write, I will hire a pitch man to get 5%. How about 5% of the sale to just pitch the movie and then maybe I'll take it. I'll have another person who writes the treatment for the movie and the synopsis. And they can get another five percent. Done, done, and done. You look at that. You did it. Done and done. So anyone out there is looking to be a pitch man or a pitch woman <laughs> for me for anything that I've done to go out there and help sell the script, I will give you five percent of the of the of the deal that we get. And this constitutes it. a verbal contract. Does it really? <laughs> I, I think we will so. need to sign something. <laughs> Let's get back to the movie. So, like I said, written by James Cameron, who did the script. Oh, I think we're going down the same road again. Yep. He is responsible for, I don't know if you heard of The Abyss, Mike, or Terminator, T2. He did that one. Listen, Aliens. James Cameron does a lot of really good stuff. And on our episode for Burn After Reading, when I mentioned that if James Cameron put something out, you guys kind of uh, shit on me. So Did um, I really? Yeah. You guys were like, no. I'm not watching anything, James. Like, I never said that. James Cameron's I? only made like eight films, and they're all fantastic. Yeah, they, you might like. He's not the. I, he's not the strongest writer. He's a great director, but he's not the strongest writer. Yeah, all his movies are kind of really? classics, though. Really, he won. He won the Academy Award for Titanic, which was nominated for every single category that year. That's true. He's not one for writing. So there we go. <laughs> uh, Jay Cox actually, his other credits were The Age of Innocence, Gangs of New York, 
and the movie Silence. Did you see it? Have you seen any of those, Mr. Butler? I saw all but Silence, but I wanted to see Silence, but we never got Silence in our theater, which I was we surprised. Did not. He was nominated for Gangs and Age of Innocence, I believe, for an Academy Award. I got all these Academy Award facts now. <laughs> Music by Graham Ravel. That's how I've always pronounced it. Yeah. Uh, I, I have, he has, a lot of these people have done a slew of things, but He's I try to put, ton. I try to put stuff in there that people know, like Riddick, The Crow, No Escape. Have you ever seen No Escape? With Ray Liotta when it's the island of prisoners and he's, they dump him on there. I think I saw like parts of it on cable, but I that, can't remember. That actually it. might be good for us because I remember liking that movie. Okay. Okay. He also did it from Dust Till Dawn. Not Ray Liotta, but Grand Reveal. Cinematography by Matthew Leonetti. He did Star Trek First, first contact, contact, Mike. And Insurrection. I was going to say you can't help but do a Star Trek. I this time. would ignore the Insurrection one, but yes. Oh, yeah. Butterfly Effect. The Rob Zombie Halloween. It's okay. I'm just giving you stuff to okay. get done. Producers, James Cameron produces, and Steve Charles Jaffe, who actually produced Near Dark, but also Star Trek VI, Undiscovered Country. Uh, There's another you. one for you, nerd. <laughs> I say that with love. So as I said before, it stars Ray Fiennes. He plays Lenny Nero, who is the lead uh, character in this movie. We'll get to him as well. You may, you may know Ray Fiennes from such movies as The Grand Budapest Hotel, Schindler's List, which he was nominated for. I can't believe he didn't win. The English Patient, which he was also uh, nominated for an Oscar, and the upcoming The King's Man, which I am really excited to see. He's also M in James Bond. He is, but and we're, okay. he who shall uh, not be named. I'm surprised you didn't add that. Voldemort, because I, I said he's who shall not because I love Schindler's List. I love him in Schindler's List, so that's why he's really good in that movie. He's really good in pretty much. It. He's a fantastic. Actor. He is. He yes, agreed. Angela Bassett as Lord. Well, she's known as Mace, but her first name is Lornetta or Lornette. Uh, Mace Mason. Uh, she is. You may know Angela Bassett from Mike. Oh, oh, well, okay. well, job. Nice job. How Stella got her groove back. She was nominated <laughs> for an Oscar for What's Love Got to Do with It. I like that movie. Yeah. And she was in the more recently. She was in Black Panther. I've actually never seen How Stella Got Her Groove Back. Well, then you don't know how she got her groove. I back. don't know. It well, was, I think it, it was by it was dating with, a guy in Jamaica. It was with Tay Diggs. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Juliette Lewis plays Faith. She had you ever seen Natural Born Killers? Did you ever see the extended yes. Natural Born Killers cut where they had Tommy Lee Jones's head on a stake? No, that I watched moved. it on you like should, a Cinemax or HBO. You once. should watch the extended because it is woo. <laughs> it's good, but it is woo. Natural Born Killers is, is it's a good movie, but it is violent. It's a hard watch. Yeah. yeah, she was she was nominated for Cape Fear. I should just ask you, what do you think they were nominated for? <laughs> Tom Sizemore as Max, Max Peltier, but we're going to just call him Max because that's what he's known as here. Uh, Saving Private Ryan, True Romance, Pearl Harbor. He was also in Natural Born Killers. Michael Wincott plays Philo. You would know him from The Crow. He plays one of the bad guys in The Crow that kills The Crow. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I was like, he's in a gothic movie and I couldn't remember also, what he was from. He's also in Alien Resurrection. He plays the the captain of the ship when they come, when they get, they go on to... They get bring Dan Hedaya brings the the, the 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 scavengers or whatever. He's he plays, the one with like the the hunt. The he's the captain. Skin. Okay. Yeah. I think. Yes, he's the captain. He probably is. I I don't remember most much of the crew in that. Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio is Burton Steckler. He is partnered with William Finkner, who plays Dwayne Engelman. They are the two cops in this movie that are responsible for the, I guess, controversy or the crisis in the movie. Mm-hmm. D'Onofrio, you may know him from Full Metal Jacket, Men in Black. He's also plays uh, Kingpin in the Daredevil Netflix show. He's also in Law and Order Criminal Intent. I think I'm, that's where most people know him from. I'm a big, 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 big D'Onofrio fan. How many Emmys was he nominated for for that? A lot. That's what I thought. But he is, uh, he's fantastic. And he's, I, he's I great in everything. I don't know if I've said this already. I think I might have. But if you ever are on YouTube and you he did a short film, where he directed, but he played Orson Welles. And it's it's supposed to be Orson Welles before I can't remember the name of the movie that he's shooting, but it's in Europe. And he's like, it's really good. I can absolutely see him. I think you've mentioned to me before, maybe not on the cast. Yeah, yeah. But I can absolutely see him playing a uh, an Orson Welles. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Finkner, you might know him from Armageddon, Lone Ranger, Dark Knight, Blades of Glory. Uh, you know, Lone Ranger is going to be in our season four uh, season. So that's I, true. I'm excited it's about coming that. Up. I really like that movie. Glenn Plummer plays Jericho one. He's the guy that. Uh, Keanu Reeves steals the car from its speed. <laughs> He's also in Saw 2, Showgirls, Gift, the more recently gifted with uh, Chris Evans. And then I have a couple other people. Richard, Rich, Richard Edson plays Tick. He is from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. He's the one that's in the... Uh He's the gas. He's the attendant. He's the um, the parking attendant yes. that steals the car. He's that's also a, more recently from Three From Hell. My girlfriend was very excited when she saw him. She's like, oh, that's the guy from Ferris Bueller. I was yeah. like, 
He is in almost everything in the nineties. That guy was is a great character actor. I didn't realize Nicky Cat was in this movie. He plays one of the he plays the uh one of the gang, Philo's gang that goes after him. The guy with the shaved head. Oh, that's that guy? Yeah, that's Nicky Cat. And then and for some reason we're doing a Joseph Summer back to back. Uh he plays Palmer Strickland, the chief of police. He was in the family man, the yep. one that we did last week. I don't know why we're doing a Joseph Summer back to back, but yeah. So yeah, so those are the people that are in it. Strange is 145 minutes, rated R. Production budget of $42 million was released on October 13th, 1995. It's opening weekend. It came in 3.6 million domestic eight worldwide eight. It did not get released internationally. I think you kind of can see why maybe it was forgotten. Oh yeah. <laughs> it was released on the same weekend as the movie Jade starring David Caruso and the Scarlet Letter. I that believe that that's the one with Demi Moore, which mm-hmm. everyone in high school had to see it when it came out. <laughs> Uh, the week before, the 6th of October, you had Assassins, the Antonio Banderas movie, and Dead Sylvester Presidents. Stallone. What's up? And Sylvester Stallone. And Sylvester Stallone. Dead I remember Presidents. liking that, but I don't think it's good. I, I feel like I watched it's it not. when I was little and I was like, oh, that's cool, but it probably wasn't. You're correct. <laughs> Dead Presidents and How to Make an American Quilt. That was with Winona Ryder. The week before that, so two weeks from the 13th, which was September 29th, you had Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers, Devil in a Blue Dress, which is also going to be in our season four. Mm-hmm. The Big Green and Still Big, Still Little. And then the week after Strange Days came out, so the 13th, so the 20th, I'm talking about, of October, you had Get Shorty, Now and Then, and Mallrats, which Get Shorty was fantastic, and probably everybody went to go see that anyways. So, What's up? Did you have also have that two different release dates on there? Well, I do. I mean, I was going to save that for later, but okay. I'll, I'll break it to I'll go now. It opened in one theater on the 6th of October, and it made $31,000. Okay. Then the then this next week, the thirteenth, it opened wide. It only it finished eighth behind like seven and it's like eighteenth week <laughs> Assassin's Dead Presence to die for. So it it didn't do well in its opening weekend. Mm-hmm. But before we get into all that other stuff, Mike's gonna break down what actually Strange Days is about. Oh boy. <laughs> Everyone's favorite time. Strange Days is a neo noir sci fi drama crime mystery. I would say is the best way to introduce it. The movie takes place a couple of days, uh, December 30th, 1999. It takes over place over two days. Yeah. Right before New Year's Eve uh, in Los Angeles, which is in 1999. Los Angeles is a basically a militarized war zone. It's a, a hellhole. It's yeah, it's it's a racial war zone where there's a lot of a lot of hatred between African-Americans and the police officers and. New Year's Eve is coming and they've got looks like they've got military presence and all that. It's not a great place. Our protagonist, Lenny Nero, uh, who we find out is an ex-narco cop, now deals in experiences, which are recorded on these things called squids, which essentially are these devices you put on your head and record all of your memories, your sensations, your feelings, your sight, uh, your emotions, everything. You can record these emotions, put them on a tape, give them to someone else with a squid, and they can watch everything back and experience everything exactly how it was experienced. And he's kind of, he'll deal with, you know, it seems like primarily it's pornography, uh, but it's also, you know, robbing like the beginning of the thing is like robbing like a, a, a restaurant, you know, action stuff and exciting stuff and skiing. And he tries to sell all these different experiences. The only thing Lenny won't deal with is blackjack, which is essentially a snuff film um, for, I mean, obvious reasons. What are they? <laughs> Go ahead. So Lenny's a smooth talker. He's this, uh, I guess, self-proclaimed like nice guy and friend to everybody. Uh, so he's got a lot of friends, especially in like the shady corners of the city, uh, including Iris, who is a prostitute. So one day while Lenny's trying to make a sale, Lenny comes into contact with Iris, who's very upset and wants to talk to Lenny, saying that she has something she needs him to see. Unfortunately, she disappears as soon as the cops arrive. Lenny's car is repoed by a tow truck driver because he hasn't made his payments. And Lenny is forced to kind of be driven around the city by his friend uh, Mace, Angela Bassett's character, who is a private security expert and limo driver. Lenny wants to go meet Faith at this club. Faith is his ex-girlfriend, who's he, who he's very obsessed with and continually watches on these old squid tapes on their old relationship together, even though Faith wants nothing to do with Lenny anymore. Uh, she's now dating a, a record uh, mogul, Philo, played by Michael Wincott, who's this really possessive, very paranoid uh, creepy kind of guy. <laughs> nice. Faith wants nothing to do with him, kicks Lenny out. Lenny just wants to know why. I mean, obviously Lenny wants to see Faith, but he wants to know why Iris might have been, might have wanted to see him, why she was so upset. He doesn't get any information from her, but at the club, he is given a tape by a buddy of his that was left for him. 
in this tape, when Lenny watches it, is a recording of Iris's death left by what we can only assume is the killer. How the killer kills people is he puts a squid on top of the victim's head and his own head and kind of outputs so that the person watching this squid can experience what the murderer feels and the victim feels at the same time. So that's how Lenny kind of knows the guy really gets off on it. Lenny obviously is shaken and upset, tries to go to the hotel where Iris was murdered. And this sets him on a, on the, on a mystery uh, to solve the mystery of what happened. Obviously he can't go to the police because either he could be the murderer or it would kill his, his cred with his customers and no one would want to do business with him. Either way, Lenny would be ruined. So he goes to try to solve the murder himself along with Mace and his private eye buddy, Max. Different twists and turns happen and we come to find out that uh, it all kind of stems from Iris who recorded a murder of a very influential rapper who had been organizing the streets kind of against the police and the establishment. Jericho One was the rapper's name. And in that tape, he finds out that Jericho One was murdered after police pulled him over and just murdered him for being the guy who's kind of speaking out against the police. Iris ran away. She was able to get the tape out. And now it's up to Lenny and Mace to solve the the murder of Iris while also figuring out what they're going to do with uh, the murder tape of Jericho One when the police will probably just sit on it. Or if they release it, it would spark an outrage in the city and cause untold levels of, of violence and protest. So that's basically what the movie is about, is, is kind of solving these two mysteries that are um, intertwined and related. And it, it gives off a very noir kind of vibe, and there's lots of twists and turns and whodunits, which is, is really cool. And it's got a very adult murder mystery vibe to it. Yeah, um, you had not seen this before. No. I had. One of the things that I remember liking about it or when I think back to it was the murder mystery stuff was the mystery, but watching it again, I don't really, the mystery isn't complex. It's not really like something like LA confidential where you really are trying to figure it out. And there really is an investigation. In this movie, a lot of the, a lot of his, and by his, I mean, Lenny Nero, a lot of Lenny's motivation is attached to his almost pathetic fascination with his ex-girlfriend, Faith, which is who's Juliet Lewis. Yes. And murder mystery stuff doesn't kick in until maybe the last 45 minutes of the movie. That was the one thing I had noticed upon it, because I've seen this movie more than once. Okay. But this watch, I kind of, well, I've totally forgotten D'Onofrio was in this. I totally forgot. Thing. I, knew that, I knew this stuff happened to Jericho one. But you didn't know knew, who was doing it. Right? I didn't. I forgot who was in it. I forgot who the, who, the, who the actors were. But I also didn't realize that the the kind of like whodunit aspect of the movie really didn't kick into high gear until the last part of the movie. It's a two and a half hour movie. Yeah. So a lot of a lot of the movie they spent a lot of time on Nero's or Lenny's like. You know, like I said, pathetic fascination. His with obsession, him. yeah. Yes, his obsession with his ex. Almost an addiction. Yeah. Well, you. Well, that's the idea. You get addicted to jacking in, right? Which is you find out that also that's Philo's issue. Like he is addicted to jacking in, where everybody he wants, he has everybody hooked up to a squid deck so he can see what they're doing, and he becomes paranoid. I mean, his line that he says there, paranoia is just reality on a finer scale. Yes. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> So he's further along than Lenny, clearly, in his addiction. Lenny has a kind of set of morals that he kind of lives by. You yeah. talk about he doesn't want blackjack. Probably because he's this probably has something stemming from his being an ex-cop. Right. But at the end of the day, he's still addicted. He's not addicted to jacking and he's a, he's he's obsessed. He's addicted with, to the thought of faith. His right. His the feeling he had when he was with her. And you don't I mean you get the yes, she is a singer, she wants to be a star. And, and Philo is a manager or somebody who's supposed to be. Philo's a rich uh, record executive who's right. just kind of, she's still just playing clubs and stuff, but mm-hmm. he's, he, she's hoping eventually she'll be more than just his, you know, toy, I guess, or, you know, arm right. piece and just kind of arm candy. That's, that's the word. <laughs> <laughs> and Lenny, you, you hear like Lenny introduced them and right, then yep. Philo steals her from him. And, but she's not a likable character either. And like, he is still trying to save her throughout this entire thing. 
And I, she's not likable at all. I kind of like all. that. No, I get that. Yeah. It, it's because that's a little bit of a twist. And, and, you know, I didn't really think about it much until toward the end. But it really is this. It, it's got a lot of 1930s kind of detective feel to it, especially at the end. Like she's the femme fatale. Like she's even singing at the club, just like the femme fatales do and stuff like that. But unlike most of them, which, you know, you're still supposed to think like, oh, maybe there's a chance they're nice. Mm-hmm. She really, true, true story, like if they're a murderer and a bad person to begin with, the femme fatale is usually not great. They're not going to end up redeemed by the end of the story, which Faith really isn't. Right. Which I like about this movie. It's like a twist on that. Right. The fact that this movie came out in 95, so shot in 94, that they were saying it five years later that 1999 was going to be nuts. Like this, like crazy, this kind of like tipping point almost was odd. <laughs> I just think back to uh, films like Demolition Man did the same thing. When was Demolition Man? 94. They said the same thing about 99. True. That opens with 99, the Hollywood sign burning. That's true. That's true. I well, think that's just yeah. what people were expecting because there were so many like the Rodney King stuff has just happened. And well, all that's this. that's where Cameron got the idea for this movie was oh. after the after the indictment, not the indictment, after the ruling of the Rodney King verdict, after the verdict came down, mm-hmm. he either got the idea and came up with the story. I can. I mean, that's pretty clear. Anybody who knows anything about like history, like modern sure. history, like that's like, oh yeah, that's Rodney King right there. Yeah. This is this is very. This has got old Cameron's fingerprints all over it. He's married to Catherine Bigelow at the time, so. And and this movie was produced by Lightstorm Entertainment, which is Cameron's production company. So he he it's got his fingerprints all over. It. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been surprised if he was gonna had an idea about directing it at some point. But, it's possible, yeah. So it definitely you know Cameron Hebry, uh, but he I had to step away. I think he was doing another movie during this time, like he was shooting something else. Oh, I think he was doing. No, he wasn't. Was he doing Terminator Two? Was ninety one right? Yeah, uh, yeah. 91 but, and it came out in yeah this might have been true lies around the time of true you lies might be right true lies came out no true lies came out in 94 but regardless okay yeah so he <laughs> might have been he might have been working on other stuff so that's probably why maybe he didn't get behind the camera with this oh, Catherine Bigelow is a great director too well, what, so you know Titanic's 97 right he's probably preparing Titanic I would say pre-production maybe, maybe on something like that maybe yeah so I kind of my one of my notes here back to genre I, I have a kind of like film noir light like it's not. S- it's definitely not super right, like film noir. Right, yeah, right. That really more comes into play toward the end, like you said, the last forty-five minutes. Correct, correct. So I want to talk about the opening because I I got a couple notes about the opening. Okay. So the opening scene, you kind of get the idea of it lays out exactly what the premise of the movie is: the tech, the technology, what you're seeing. You know, because you see, uh, Lenny's eyeball, and, and you hear, I think it's Tick's voice. You ready? And he's like, Yeah. And then you, he jacks in. Yeah. And he's watching this memory so you and these guys basically rob a chinese restaurant mm-hmm. and then they get caught uh, they, they rob a chinese restaurant you're one guy cops surround him he runs to the roof he tries to make a jump he doesn't make it he falls and dies and that's when he's like you know i don't deal in blackjack you find that out yep so the opening sequence was actually four separate locations they had to they hit they hit him in cuts and because they had four different locations they had to dub all the sound over so none of the sound you hear in that first POV, you know, experience, the memory is nothing that was shot when they did it. It was all sound done in a studio, which I thought was interesting. That is interesting. Right. Now I'm not a, I'm not a POV guy. I'm not a first person shooter player. So I probably wouldn't like the experience of the squid decks and re- I wouldn't, it wouldn't be my thing. Well, I don't know. Cause it's, it's different than like just a first person shooter. Cause you're disconnected True. in those. You're only seeing the eyes, and this you're getting all the sensations. Mm-hmm. Now listen, I want you to know what, what we're talking about here, okay? This is not like TV only better. This is life. It's a piece of somebody's life. It's pure and uncut, straight from the cerebral cortex. I mean, you're there, you're doing it, you're seeing it, you're hearing it, you're feeling it. What kind of things exactly? Exactly anything is whatever you want, whoever you want to be. Okay. But all the POV, all the POV action in the movie took a year to prep, plan, and rehearse. So everything you saw from the point of view of when you're when they're jacking in mm-hmm. took over a year to get get right. That's, that's interesting. That's surprising. Yeah. It took that long. Well, it's that's also that's a that's real 
time consuming. I can see that being real time, especially when the uh, the murderer looks in the mirror when he's going to kill Iris, and there's no oh, camera right. around him. Right. I thought that was impressive. I was like, oh, there's no camera there. Yeah. Well, and they might have had a hidden. trickery. Yeah. Yeah, they might have had it hidden. Well, they actually built the camera they used for the the actual POV action. Mm-hmm. The camera they used was they had to create because you know because cameras got to build everything because he That's built true. cameras for Titanic. He built you know That's I think right. He built cameras for Avatar too, right? Yeah, he's a big technical guy. Yeah. yeah. So they built this camera that it weighs eight pounds, thirty-five millimeter camera. It fits in the palm of your hand, and it has these like interchangeable lenses and a remote follow focus and a video assist because you couldn't put a viewfinder on it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So and it's mounted on this like, it's not a steady cam, but it's a like it's a steady cam like portable rig. So they this small camera, it's eight pounds, palm of your hand that they used to do. The POV action shots. That's really cool. Because I was yeah. wondering how to do it, especially when the guy jumps over the building. I was like, that's, those are, it's got to be his two well, hands. Right. That's right. got to be a, a mounted camera. But back in 1995, I was very surprised that they had a camera that, that still kept film quality film, but, but was smaller. They needed a GoPro. Basically, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which was, it was still really cool to see in 1995. I was impressed. Yeah. And speaking of Cam, the cinematographer, uh, Leonetti, Matthew Leonetti, who actually, he did well. Let me give you the let me give you the two facts. So he estimated that fifty to sixty percent of the film was shot on a Steadicam. So they, but also he had he he had to use four different camera systems and lighting systems that they actually some of them they had to create. He has a company, Leonetti Company. Okay, that they actually create and build for just for this movie to use it because he had to do a bunch of stuff. Like it, he had to do stuff where he had a light. A, like seven blocks of Sunset Boulevard because they had action on both sides of the street. So they had to just light everything. But and in this, and with lighting in terms of when they had to do the POV stuff, they had a light from overhead because you don't know where the, cause the camera's moving around. You You're might doing see yeah. yeah, you either have to hide the lights, which they did too, or you have to light from overhead. So lighting the whole thing must have been a hell of a time to do. It just, I, it must have been like, I can imagine standing there going, how the rig I'm going to like this, light this. That's you know? right. And, it's an 80-day shoot, which is long to begin with. 77 of those were nights. <laughs> I was going to there's not a lot of day shots. There isn't. When Lenny wakes up after passing out the first night, and yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and the, the flashback, with the one flashback with Faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so, all I can remember. The day shots? The flashbacks, yep. Oh, and the flashback with Mace as well. Yep. When he wakes up, and then, uh, you're right. Yeah, it's... Yeah, Oof. that's tough. Seventy-seven nights. That's right. That's like a whole. You're you're you gotta retrain your body after that to to get back to like the daytime. So I'm curious because you came into this later. I had seen this when it came. I don't. I don't remember when I saw this. Were you one out. of the four people that watched this when it came out? I probably was. <laughs> I mean, there was a time when I watched everything that came out. Um, you know, just because that's what you did. That's what I did. At least I try to watch everything you can do. Uh, I'm curious because I asked you off off mic if you liked this, and you said you did. What you talked about the murder mystery stuff. What exactly? What other stuff did you really? What really jumped out at you? Growing up, I've always liked movies with this kind of style, that kind of um, close future noir kind of style, that kind of not post apocalyptic, but kind of dystopian, dystopian you know, near future stuff. I always really enjoy it. And even like farther future stuff like Blade Runner and stuff like that. I just, like I, I always talk about how I love Star Trek, which sure. is obviously the exact opposite of that. But you know, I, that's why I think I'm also interested in this other, like that's one way the future can go. Here's another. And it's pretty shitty. Um, but <laughs> I just, there's something about the style and the look of all these films that I really like the darkness lit by these, these neon lights and these street lights that they're dirty and they're gritty. And they have this strange style. That's us but not quite us. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's that style and that feel that I really enjoy. And I really go to um, uh, in, in these different movies, especially. And like I said, I told you off camera, it's like, it seems to be most of them were from the mid nineties. Yeah. It's like, there was a very small period of time where it's like, these are these movies. And then like, I'd even say the matrix is kind of like that. So I guess up to the late nineties, there's more dystopian there's, stuff now yeah. with the, with the, with the onset of YA books. But it's a different yeah. type of dystopian. No, it's like yeah. beyond dystopian. Right, right, right. Um, what are you talking about? Mortal Engines isn't going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> Mortal Engines, Hunger Games, where it's like the stylized dystopia, where this is actually more like a real 
it's got a real lived in like actual like this could happen kind of feel yeah. to it. In the future, cities take to this take to the road. I'm like, why? <laughs> <laughs> London's on a big track tank now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so I really like the style. I mean, that was clearly when you talked about the movie, and then I watched that trailer. That's what made me go. Right. I want to see this. I don't know how I've never seen this movie. That was and a while clearly ago because too. it's super rapey, and my parents would never have let me watch this movie. Super rapey? Oh yeah, because yeah, because the nudity, all the nudity, and, and, and then the, the storyline. So while I watched a lot of that when I was younger, my parents would never let me watch this. Clearly, it was forgotten, so they probably never even watched it. And uh, I see how you tell. I like I like how you brought up the title of the podcast, that's right? <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think because it was so forgotten, it just never reappeared as I got older. So I never really got a chance well, to watch it. We had a heck of a time finding it. That's right. To watch it, it's nowhere. I we had to get it from. We got it somewhere. Let's just know we got it. That's all we need. People need to know. They don't exactly. need to know how. But like the DV, I guess it was on VHS. It was on Laserdisc with like a one-hour documentary about it, which I'm sure has laser rod now. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and then there's a DVD was made in 1999. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah, and you can't find it for rent anywhere. So, oh, which I'm surprised. This movie, you should find it. Visually, it's yeah. great. I mean, I I thought the storyline was another thing that drew me in when you asked me what I thought about it. Other than the style, which I knew I was gonna like. I really like the characters. I like the planet, um, the conventions. Like Lenny is a coward. Lenny is weak. Yeah. Lenny is not your strong hero character. That's <laughs> Angela Bassett's mace is your is your muscle. She's the hero character, and Lenny's kind of he's the main character, but he's almost being dragged along. He's kind of a loser. He is. Like I, I I have here is like I got my note is Lenny is kind of a loser. Classic noir hero character flaw. <laughs> like he is. <laughs> he's he's kind of, he's a real loser. And then of course, instantly, instantly. I think of the line in Venom, which I hate. I was a loser too, Eddie. I, on my planet, Eddie, I was like you. I was kind of a loser. It's <laughs> just like, all right, anyways. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, he's like a, he's a, he's a, he's a loser. It's he's like, a loser. Let he, go. He gets beat up real easy. Yeah. He needs someone, he needs Mace to protect him, which is, it's not wrong to need a woman he, to protect you. That's the only fine, time but he I ever, think it's interesting. The only time he ever fights is he punches the, the security guard, the, the running back from the Rams. Oh, they're on a wrestling. Right. He punch, and then and he hits the chair on the woman who clearly was supposed to be in the Matrix movie. <laughs> <laughs> Not like this. Not like this. <laughs> That's the only time he ever does anything. Yeah, he never has any kind of redemption of I mean, I get it. Like in terms of like standing up for himself. Um, I mean, he and fights so- Max, but like he has no choice but to fight Max. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's life or death. That's like fight him or get thrown out a window or yeah. shot in the head which the reveal that max is max played by tom sizemore the reveal that max is the bad guy is kind of i saw that coming that's that was my that's i mean i have a couple of things that i didn't i, I love this movie this is great and i want to try to find on dvd but there are a couple complaints and that was my big one and right. i put a note that maybe it's because i don't know about you because you've seen it tom sizemore always plays the bad guy well, or a slimy guy and although max is always slimy like that's it's not it's not just that it's also that he always it's his friend and he always is there to help him out. And right. he's always there to like, he's always got uh, an explanation for stuff. And you're just kind of like, it's a trope and you're, and you, and you recognize it and you're right. like, he's the bad guy. I heard stuff. What stuff? You know, I heard stuff, smoke rumors. I've heard stuff. I've heard stuff about a death squad, a group of guys, cops loyal to the hardline school guys have had, too many years of city hall and review boards and the goddamn media pissing down their necks, suspending cops right and left, tying their hands. As soon as he's watching, he's watching the um, Iris's, you know, rape and murder. Right, right. And like his reaction, I'm like, I don't know. It's look how upset Lenny was by this. And look how meh Max is on this. Yeah. And then Max is like, he's very calm throughout the whole thing. Like, oh, we need to do this and this. But it's told right from the start that Max doesn't get a lot of work. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's like Max. Just, it's a, can't like know I said, It's a trope that you've seen before, so you're just right. kind of you're like, okay, I know. You're it. just waiting for yeah. him to take off his yeah. mask. And even at the end, it, it, he's so quick at the end to like. I again, I don't get. She doesn't like Faith. Doesn't like him. Doesn't like Lenny anymore, or never liked him, or is is so anti Lenny. But at the end of the movie, she decides to save his life. I don't think she really wanted Lenny to die. I think that was true. Who knows? I just don't think. I think she's very self-serving. Not a good person, clearly. Yeah. And she never was, and and Lenny just couldn't see past that, right. which is true of a lot of people. You know, when they when they fall for someone, they look past all their flaws and stuff like that. But you know, Lenny and Faith did have something, and Lenny was really the only person in her life who really did care about her. So even if she can't love Lenny, 
She doesn't want to see him murdered. And she definitely doesn't love Max. Or Philo. Or Philo. I think Max is just a means to an end. I don't and even so know. so is Philo. You gotta follow me so much. Let's just make have fun. It's like, come on. Yeah. And then and then and then he turns Max turns on her so quick when he's like, You bitch, and he's like and, and he's like trying to kill her. It's well, because like, obviously she tried to stop. Well, what's Lenny going to do now that he has an opening? He's going right. to try to stop Max. Right. No, I hear you. I hear you. But yeah, I do think the the end kind of falls apart a little bit. It's all all very convenient. In the it last is. 10 minutes. Well, that's what I that was my point about the mystery isn't deep enough. It's just kind of like the premise of the movie is really good. But the mystery is kind of shoehorned in there towards the end. There is a mystery element as to like, why did they kill Iris? But it's kind of put it's put on the back burner a lot for Lenny's obsession with faith. I think that's an issue. Right. And I think there was a tough balance between that. And then all of a sudden the mystery kind of came forward towards the end. Which the mystery is actually pretty cool. I I don't mind the mystery. I like how the two stories do actually come together. Mm -hmm. But like you said, since it's the last 45 minutes and you spend so much time focusing Mm -hmm. on faith, if you took out some faith stuff, stretched out that mystery and let the audience kind of try to figure it out, it would have been a little better. Because the Jericho 1 stuff is actually... I mean, even though Max is obvious. Well, the Jericho one stuff is, uh, I don't get the motivation for Steckler to just shoot him. I don't get it. Like, in terms of like, I get if you're telling me like he's at the end of his rope, he's hopped, he jacks in too much, he's hopped up on something, whatever. You know, he's part of the fake death squad that Max makes up to try to throw them off the, the scent. But he just basically flat out shoots him. I just get that they're all on their edge like that. This is just a society on the edge and the cops are that on edge with the well, the the, the minority community. And then the Jericho pro- once starts saying, I'm going to do this and this. And that just sets Jericho off. I'm like, oh, fuck this. And he, he shoots you mean him. Steckler off. Steckler, oh, yeah. yeah. I think it kills Jericho I, one. I think. But that's the problem is that that's the first time you see Steckler and what's the Engelman? The two cops. Yeah, but they already pull him over for no reason, so it's kind of like... Nah, I, I get it. I, I just didn't... They just go, oh, yeah, boom, boom. Like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? It's quick. Uh, it, it's it, fine. It is quick, but it's fine. based on the, the setup of the, the world that they live in, I'm like, eh, I can kind of see that. Another effect of the faith, the Lenny obsession with faith, mm-hmm. what, what, other, what else takes a hit is also is the relationship between Lenny and Mace in terms of setting up what happens at the end. Like, clearly, she loves him. Yeah. And he, for some reason, doesn't see it. And he has that say, have you ever loved somebody that doesn't return the favor? And she's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so she said, I was like, come on, Lenny, fucking moron. Right. Have you ever been in love with someone who didn't return that love? Yeah, Lenny. I Didn't stop you from loving them, right? Or being able to understand them or forgive them i guess and there's not enough time kind of like spent there in the kind of like i never sense lenny really has feelings for her until the very end you know what i mean until kind of like towards the end of the movie there's never anything maybe in the first hour where you can show that it's just kind of like, Oh, you're my friend. He's using her. But like, you never get the sense that there was something there on his side. Yeah. I mean, you get a little bit of that. Like, I mean, he's, he's wants to keep her friendship, even though he's like, is he trying to use her and just stay the limo? Or he's like, you don't mean that. You don't mean that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, at the end, toward the end of that first night, he does lay on her lap. Like they have this very, com- like, obviously they very comfortable with each other kind of a relationship. Right. And he's kind of, finds her this as this kind of beacon of of comfort clearly because like he goes into his lap and that's then he's at peace and he's calm and he finally goes to sleep mm-hmm. so I, I think there's something there that he, he even he doesn't realize but it's there i just wanted more i think more would have been nice i would have liked more of a flashback like maybe well, they just kind of show you the first time they meet where she's right. a waitress right and she then she turns home. into a badass security expert and it's not too much time has passed true, we get to true play. well at some point in the movie too though there's a split in the narrative like there is a narrative about lenny and solving the mystery and what's going on there but then there's also this narrative of mace and cops against the community and she you know the cops are chasing her through the crowd there's this like different like there's almost like two different movies going on at some point they split and I get you want to solve because there's two issues here. There's, right. There's yeah. The actual mystery of. There's the personal murder mystery right, that, that and then you're the trying to, societal yeah, because, one. Because the cops that killed Jericho one 
are not really are not obviously killing off all of Lenny's people that Lenny knows because it's Max trying to just kind of like it's Max trying to take advantage of the situation. Right. To get to be with Faith and to get rid of Philo and to just kind of independent on Lenny, all those murders. But you still have the cops who murdered Jericho one who you need to solve that. Well, that's the whole thing. Do you need to solve it or do you just need to solve Faith's thing, which is kind of Lenny's dilemma is like, does he care about Jericho one and what that means? Or does he just care about Faith? And that's what upsets Mace, I think. Right. But those two, those it's it's almost like there's one storyline. Jericho one is killed by these two cops and a race war may may ignite. Mm -hmm. And then at some it splits off because they can't stay. They can't stay interwoven because it becomes okay. well, now this happened. This person, Iris, saw it. Max can take advantage of it. He's not even concerned with the cops. And then that splits off the narrative. And now you have these two cops out here who are kind of who are chasing Lenny down. And at some point they they have a firefight with Mace and they they they, they drive into they drive the limo in and like right. But those are two now we we have two different storylines going and we have to complete them. You know what I mean? Like I'm I'm I, as true. as I'm talking I'm doing these hand motions. You are doing these hand motions <laughs> of them coming in and coming out yeah. together, driving down different lanes of the highway. Right, right. There is another which now that you're talking about that it actually reminds me of another kind of very similar futuristic noir kind of film with, or show I guess Altered Carbon does very similar in a very similar way with the True. history with the very personal um I can't remember the main character's name right now. Uh, Takeshi. Right. Um Takeshi who's trying to solve the murder of this rich guy and how it actually veers in a very personal territory and he's mm-hmm. still gotta solve both one murder sure. and solve his own personal story as well. But yeah. I feel like that kind of comes together maybe a little better than that also has more that has more episodes. A little bit more time yeah, to do. Right, right. So that absolutely so that's got more time to do. You're talking about two and a half hour movie. If they did Strange Days again, which we always talk about, I'm sure it's a six episode, eight no, episode. This thing, I, I think Strange Days would make a decent um, series, actually. You could take, uh, I like that the world that they develop is very interesting. Yeah. I think I would like it. I think it would make, it would make sense more in the future, more future, futuristic in terms of the squid decks, maybe not so rooted in the reality of 1999 or 20, 2019. But rooted in the reality of 2040, 2050 kind of thing. Go a little bit further than yes. five years. Yes. I think that's something that we don't do as much or that storytellers don't do as much now as five years in the future. This will happen. I think people are a little more realistic with. Yes. 50 years in the future. This well, will happen. Ad Asher does a good job. The movie with Brad Pitt. What of, year does that take place? Shoot. But it, it, it we colonized the moon. So it takes place, and we're and we're on Mars. But I and love the technology the fact, is more realistic. But I love the fact when they go to the moon and at Astra, and you see Hudson News there, like you know, like the airport stuff. Like <laughs> yeah. you see, like because that makes sense. That's yeah. what it would be like. Yeah. Now let me ask you a question. Yes. Jericho one is having a speech, and he talks, and mm-hmm. it, one of the lines in the speech is he talks about rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Does that sound familiar to you? Is that from something? I thought the same thing, but I don't know. I should have looked it up. Maybe they're taking other speeches. Well, I'm I'm wondering if it's uh. You've I'm, also heard him say that before, so maybe you just like that line. Or I've heard somebody say it you. before. Well, you've seen this movie what three or four times now. No, um, no, uh, yes, I have, but I've heard that line before. Okay, USA Today has used it. I think I think it's been used before. Okay, a lot of people are using it. It just it sounded very very familiar. Maybe just maybe it's just a common phrase now. Maybe. Yeah. Now, did you also laugh when <laughs> yes. Victor blew his brains out and D'Onofrio screams and drags his partner's dead body? I, across I the just ground. no, I didn't laugh, but I was like, holy crap, he's nuts. Like when he had all <laughs> blood, blood all, all over, over his face, face, he's just like, ah! all, all I kept thinking about was full metal jacket. That's all I kept thinking about. <laughs> all the cops get down, stop it, drop it. It's like clearly he's not dropping. He's dragging his yeah. 200 pound friend just, across the ground. He just fired into a, a group of New Year's celebrate, celebrating New Year's people and like blowing people away. And I love how people are just still like celebrating. Like, yeah, they, they scream for a second and then yeah. clearly they all yeah. come back together. Yeah. Riot, there's the riots, riots going on. Real cops quick. are beating women in the middle of this thing. They're, they're beating the crap out of Angela Bassett. Cops shooting cops. Happy New Year. It's just like Pay attention. The riot stops real quick, by the way. It's true. As soon as he goes, 
arrest these men for murder. And like Angela Bassett's brought back. Mace is like taken back up and like escorted out. Everyone's like, all right, I guess we can stop the riot now. How, how'd you get the limo in the middle of the, in the middle of all those people? It's He's nuts. a police captain. He it's doesn't care. Nuts. Yeah, <laughs> it was, it was nuts. I was just like, holy cow, this is crazy. But I guess it works for the movie. <laughs> even like Tom, even like Max, when he, I love the fact that the knife's in his back. God, he pulls it. I knew he, he was going to pull it out. Pulls, like, so ah. Lenny gets knifed and he pulls the knife and he, Lenny gets knifed and they're fighting. Him and Max are fighting and Max goes over the side of the balcony. They're like 40 stories up. The party's below and Max is holding on to his tie because he always referenced the ties in the movie. Yeah. And uh, Lenny pulls the knife out of his back that Max had just stabbed and it cuts the tie. I love, I like that. But like Max falls. Nobody make nobody minds. Boom! Everyone's just like, oh. Well, there's one guy. There's one guy that looks up like, whoa. <laughs> You're not gonna stop my 2000s party. Maybe they're all jacking in at that point. Maybe. I mean, I wonder how many people were had squids on while they were celebrating. Well, that's the thing they don't under, like. They don't really explain. It's like squids are supposed to be this black market item, but what's the name of the Japanese um, businessman that Mace is supposed to? Oh, I don't remember who, who he kind of like kidnaps from. Not kidnaps, but like. Goes the rave, yeah. Convinces the party, yeah, right. His own place, which was an actual rave. They actually had a rave set up. They promoted it, and then they just started shooting just, there. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I like that because I was like, "Holy cow, that's a lot of extras." They got a lot of extras. Yeah. You can tell they spent a lot of money on this movie. Yeah, well, but the, it, only forty million, forty-two million, right? Yeah, but they don't have any. They don't have like a lot of huge stars. I, I don't know why I'm asking. Uh, the facts are right here. Forty-two million. Well, this is also ninety-five, man. This is you. You don't have bloated budgets right now. Yeah, you're not talking like, and this is not. You're not getting like a two hundred million dollar budget for this movie. Well, that's also I think what helps the movie that places it in the real world is they don't have this budget that gives them like true future, futuristic stuff. True. It's like they have to place it in this real world. Yeah. Which I do like the designs of all the outfits and stuff. That's mm-hmm. very '90s inspired future stuff, like the the blazers that are way too long, yeah. almost like trench coats. Uh, I noticed like. One of the notes I have is Ray Fiennes looks a lot like the 1990s Doctor Who, um, which oh, also yeah. has a New Year's Eve kind of uh, 2000 special. That's true. I was like, he's dressed pretty much exactly like the 1990s Doctor Who movie. That's true. That's true. Um, did you notice the cartridges that they use were Sony mini discs? I did. And, I the, like, and the squid uh, decks, the squid decks were Sony mini disc players that they retrofitted. Yeah. I was like, mm, I could have done without that. But it made them. But I like the idea that the media it grounds it. Right. Well, I'll tell you what. The, you know, if this is now, those are implants. Those aren't. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, those, those are USB. Are, implants. That's Johnny Mnemonic style yep. implants. When he's like, Jack in. Yeah, that's that's what that movie would be going. Absolutely. To. Yeah. Although I do like the design of the squids. Oh yeah. But my whole thing with the Japanese guy is he's like it's supposed to be a black market item, but he's like. Uh, I got. Have you ever done? Have you ever uh, jacked in before? You got squid, and then he brings out this little tiny compact squid. He's a millionaire. Of course, he's got that stuff. But now he's got his own designed version, sure. like his own boutique. Well, we probably brought it from overseas. So is it legal overseas? That's what I was a little confused about with the legality of the squids. Well, I and think the cops well, don't all have squids on while they're. No, it was. It was. They said it was used. FBI. It was going to was okay. Using so it. not like local police. Right, okay. Right. No. Yeah. So, but I mean, it's it's like one of those, like, e-cigarette kind of things, or or vaping, or something. You know, what I mean, maybe it's legal. Or like, or weed. Well, weed's not legal, but people, everyone does it, and you know, right. you know the kind of thing. Maybe there are countries where it is. Not that I do. Not that I smoke weed. I'm just saying. <laughs> Put that blunt outfield. We were doing <laughs> I can't do a cast without unless I'm high. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you what I hated. There's one thing I hated in this movie. Before, okay. Before, yeah. As as I'm assuming we're wrapping up here. Are we wrapping up? I'm checking over my notes, but yeah, I think yeah, we I can think. go over. Like maybe we'll, let's go over what we didn't like. I mean, okay, I we'll go ahead. Because I'm gonna save my. Oh, you want to save, save yours for last? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, another thing I didn't like, which was a stupid thing, was Lenny's porn stash in his flashbacks. Cop Lenny oh, has yeah. this awful oh, porn stash. I'm glad you bring up Cop Lenny. Okay. Like, I could not see in his character him ever being a cop. Even when Max is telling him, let's work the case. You're, you were vice. Let's work it. Let's work it. Let's work it. I didn't get that sense that he was ever a cop. Ever. I, I don't know. He clearly, he wasn't a very good cop. He Apparently. Apparently. But go ahead. You were saying his porn stash. That's all. It's just oh, <laughs> it's just like, oh, my. Like, as soon as he looked in the mirror in his own squid memory, I was like, oh, no, shave the shit off. <laughs> <laughs> that, that mustache was never cool <laughs> and never will be cool. But yeah, I, I agree. The whole cop thing is like and the fact that he's so bad at fighting. And like he gets his gun. It doesn't even have bullets. Yeah, in it. That's the thing. Like he, he could he's not an ex-cop, cop. but he wasn't. He does. He. Shows no kind of his training kicked in and, and shows no kind of like 
cop movement. Like, I don't know. I don't know if that's a word. Really yeah. Work the case. He stumbles. Up, this is the clues that are given to him, basically. Yeah, I didn't. Get, I didn't get that. He's a slick talker, so I got the slick talker aspect. Oh, absolutely. I would even. I would even be okay with. He was like an ex lawyer who got disbarred. I can see that. Okay, but like nothing. He has no training. There's like no training there. And like the captain. Why did the captain fire him? Exactly. They never they talk really about. They never say it. Was it for selling? Was it for using? Maybe I guess I, I don't. Was know. it for being a bad cop? <laughs> who didn't? Who didn't go past his training? Yeah. Uh, who knows? I mean, I like Lenny as a character. Sure. I think he's really interesting. He's a very interesting protagonist because he's not strong or powerful, and he does have all these flaws. Mm-hmm. It's almost as if they added the stuff where Lenny was an ex-cop just to explain how he's friends with Max, how he knows people, the the commissioner knows him, or the police chief knows him, and how like Mace. How he has, with Mace. Right. It's almost as if they did that. They just kind of toss it in there just to kind of give him the backstory of, well, of course, he knows all these people, you know? And, right. And, and we're, we're dying. And they never really gave much thought to, okay, well, shouldn't he know how to do this? Should he know how to handle a firearm? As if someone had read the script and that was like their note. Like, right. Lenny needs a, a stronger backstory. Should, like, yeah. Shouldn't he know, know how to hand to hand combat? Like, should he know how to, you know, so throw a chair at a lady? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do like the fight with Max at the end because it is really like just like sure. survival kind of a fight. And I, I cringed. Uh, I cringed when he took the knife out of his back. But when he takes Max's arm and starts moving oh, it back yeah, and forth yeah, across the glass yeah. table to saw it off, I was like, oh. Yeah. With Die Hard, I mean, he's a cop, so he's fighting cop. But like Raiders of Lost Ark, Indiana Jones, mm-hmm. he's an archaeologist. He's not a trained fighter. Well, later they, on, we learned that he was in. World War One. Okay, and, yeah, they, everyone was in World like War One, but, but yeah. it's not like when you went into World War One or when you weren't trained on hand. You know, you were trained standard stuff, but you weren't like it wasn't beat into you where like you that was your second nature. Yeah, well, he was also a spy. We also learned at a young. <laughs> well, he's awesome, but anyway, <laughs> just the fact that he's like you can still relate to him an everyday man kind of thing. The way right. he fights, because he gets it, the shit beat out of right. him. Right, like Lenny has that same. Everyday man kind of idea, except yes. they added that. Oh, here's an ex cop. Don't do that, lawyer. There's, yeah, there's something like that. I think that's what we're saying. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna tell you my note. Tell me your note. I wanted somebody to shoot that friggin' mime. <laughs> <laughs> so that mind stands. They had the mime like two or three times. And what's worse about that stupid mime is he actually has a stupid credit. He has a credit at the end, and his name is Zoot. Zoot. The yeah. Mime. I, I'm, I'm. The credits are rolling, and I'm just like mime Zoot. I'm like, what? Ugh. That guy was yeah. a, just shoot that. Zoot mime. had a bigger part in the actual film. If you actually watch it, he's the one that convinces the police chief to finally watch the uh, <laughs> the squid tape. I would have mime I film. would have no <laughs> negative things to say about Strange Days if Angela Bassett just pulled a gun out and shot the mime at the end, and, she, and then she kisses like "Kiss me, Lenny," and, she, and the mime's like in the back dying, and everybody would be like, "Yeah, baby, mime's dead. <laughs> Screw you, Zoot." <laughs> Angela Bassett was jacked back then. She's always jacked. Yeah, she's a really good shape i was like wow yeah i believe that she was fighting i, I like that well you have to too i mean i'm sure she'd probably trained for the movie oh yeah she's supposed, supposed to be security, to be security. Yeah, yeah absolutely but as soon as she came in and beat up the guys beating up lenny i was like oh snap <laughs> <laughs> like she really liked it like yeah. messed them up so mm-hmm. that was really cool yeah so i'm glad you liked it i'm glad uh, that we really actually good. did a movie that you know you hadn't seen and you ended up liking because I, I, I always don't like saying like hey you should see this movie but then you don't like it <laughs> there aren't that many that I don't like, but there aren't many that we've watched that I haven't seen where I'm like, wow, I really like this movie. Why haven't I seen it? this is one of the very first ones that, you know, I'm looking at it almost like our viewers would like, wow, I thanks to Forgotten Cinema. I've seen hey. this movie. Like, thanks for Forgotten Cinema. I've seen Strange Days and now I want to own Strange Days. I really like it. And it's really too bad it didn't make any money back then, I which think- I had read that none of the movies that were actually released that week made a lot of money. It was a surprisingly slow uh, it's week. Octo- I it's October. Well, here's the thing. It's not we talked about the dead months. I think right. We we're just coming. We're going to be coming up towards a big movie. We're sh- recording this uh, the week before Frozen Two comes out. But right. like from the holidays are about to begin. Right. For us. We have had no big weeks the last what six eight weeks. We've had movies come out that people want to see, but no big weeks. We've had decent weeks. Yeah, we haven't had any huge weeks. Right. Joker so, I mean, was probably the last one. What's that? Joker would probably have been the last one. Yeah, for us. true. But that's where we got here. Do you think this would do would have done better closer to New Year's? Like, is no. if you're advertising it because it's advertised big New Year's in the trailer. I think this movie. Me. I think this part of the reason why this movie's forgotten is it's a tough sell. It's a really tough. It's tough to sell cyberpunk sci-fi, uh, a movie like this, into a to a mainstream audience. You that's can't true. you can't put this in the summer. 
I mean, Johnny Mnemonic is is a cult classic, but like that didn't right. do well either. That didn't right? do well either. But it's got a it's a great premise. Right, but that's the thing. That has a great premise. This is a nice premise, but it's really tough to sell to a mainstream audience. You need a big name character, like something like Demolition Man. This, also, wouldn't have done well if it didn't have Sam, uh, Sylvester Stallone. This is a better movie on streaming. This is a better movie, like you know, on Hulu or on Netflix or a better series on Prime. It, Which, it needs that. I'm surprised no one has streaming because it's not like it would cost much to get the rights. And the distributor, it's like, what are they doing? Sitting on it? You might as well just maybe. release it and maybe try to get just, some money maybe out of it. Maybe just nobody, there's no call for it. I don't know. Catherine Bigelow directed this guy, James Cameron's name. Uh, maybe maybe it had a little bit of a kind of when she won for her locker, maybe it came out mm-hmm. a little bit for people. But no, it's a tough, it, I think, I don't think. Part of the reason it was forgotten is because it's a tough sell. And it's, it's you know, Rafe, Rafe, we like Rafe Fiennes. I but think is, everyone is finds bringing people to the theater. Probably not. I think everyone does a really good job in this. Yeah, thing. absolutely. And I think it's a shame. And clearly there's a lot of work put into the cinematography, the direction, the writing, like all that's very well done. And it's like, it's a shame that, Oh, we talk about it all the time. It's really tough to make movies. Of so course. Even when we don't like them, it's like, you got to respect the effort that was put into them. Right. And in this one more so like, it's really like, I like it so much. It's too, it's really too bad. No one well, liked it. One last note about the filmmaking. Cameron actually, James Cameron actually did a lot of the editing, edited basically most of the movie, but he couldn't take a credit because he's not in the union. Interesting. He didn't get into the union until later on, I think, for Titanic or Avatar or something like that. He that's, he's not in the he wasn't in the union at the time. That's interesting because I I know there's he's famously edited his Piranha two movie. Oh yeah, because when he did that was his first directing gig. He got fired after the movie was filmed and it was brought to another editor to fix the movie. He broke into the studio <laughs> and would edit Piranha two at, edit the film at night. And they ended up using his edit because they didn't know any better. He would just secretly edit the movie. Nice. Good for him. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's, it's got a lot of, it's got a lot of good, strong people behind it. Yes. And so, but it's forgotten because I think it's a tough sell. Like I said before, uh, countless times. Yes. If you can find it, give it a watch. That's the Absolutely. problem with this one. I think is it's, we can't really recommend that you go. We can recommend you go get it, mm-hmm. but it's going to be tough for you guys to find. Right. Absolutely. Hopefully, maybe they put out a Blu-ray. Oh, hopefully, some point. I mean, it's the technically it's the 20th anniversary of the date the movie takes place. <laughs> oh, but next is. year, next year will be the 25th anniversary of the movie, and it's got the big names. Hopefully, maybe one day they'll just release it in like a James Cameron or Catherine Bigelow collection. Mm-hmm. But it's worth checking out if you can find it. If you ever see it on TV or something, give it a watch. It's a really good 90s film. Nice. So. To keep along the theme of movies that you have not seen that I've suggested, next week we're going to be doing a movie that I that you've never seen, right? Sing Street. I've never seen Sing yeah. Street. So we're going to do the movie Sing Street directed by John Carney. Sing Street is, uh, John Carney is also responsible for Once, which I know you've seen. Yes. And actually Begin Again. I don't know if you've seen Begin Again. Yeah. You should, yeah. So these are two movies that I, those are two movies I enjoyed and I really like Sing Street. So, and I haven't seen it since I saw it in the theater. So this will be good because okay. I've, I've always wanted to kind of catch it again. So join us next week when we will do Sing Street. If you can find it anywhere to watch, please please feel free. Is that so? That's like a musical, right? I mean, it is. It's so it's it's that's our like first, once. That's our first musical. Ah, uh, I didn't. I thought we did one. Did we do? No, we did not. You're right because we had this conversation about have we done one yet? And then we're like, wait a minute, we're doing one coming up. Yep. And now you know what our conversations are like behind the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you like what you hear, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening to the podcast. Agreed. You can always catch us at. ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com, where we post all of our episodes there and the links out to the to the various uh, places where you can listen to it. You can also reach us. You can reach us through the site on the contact form if you have any suggestions. But you can also reach us at ForgottenCinemaPod at gmail.com. And uh, we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You comment and say, hey, why don't you guys do this? We'll put you down. We'll write you down. We'll get a... We always love doing viewer suggestions and we always love talking to our audience members. This is true as well. All right. Um, so yeah, yeah. Join us next week. Sink street. And that's it. That's all I got. All right. And watch strange days. Find it somewhere and watch it. That's right. Yeah. We, we hope you had a good new year. We will see you. Well, I was going to say we'll see you next year, but this uh, is next. year. This is next year. So we'll, I guess we'll see you next week. All right. <laughs> I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And this has been forgotten cinema.